one of the things I believe is that a magician, an entertainer, because they're booking an entertainer for their event, should be the biggest personality in the room. You're you're holding everyone together with with what you bring to that event. And when you leave, like you're the only person that's going to leave, and they they job is to keep talking about you. I think of uh, Sam Powers, an Australian magician who just presents so well when he walks into a room. And I know that that's something that he put not so much time into because he's a he's a big man, but he's he's tall and he's strong. And I know he used to remind me to keep my head up when I and keep my chest out when I'm walking into a room as a performer. And those things can make a big difference. The difference between going up to a table and being like, oh, hey, guys, I'm the magician here. Can I show you some tricks? Is that okay? I got a deck of cards. Hey, g'day, guys. I hope you're having a great afternoon. My name's Christopher. What's your name, sir? Hey. And then asserting uh, almost emotional dominance, you know, uh, not in a mean way or an aggressive way, but in a, hey, guys, here's the show. They're guys. They do magic. They are the magic guys. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 136 of the Magic Guys. To my left, I have Nick K. Welcome to the show, friends. <laughs> and Doug Conn has changed into a younger, handsomer looking Australian. Say hello to Chris Wayne. For those of you listening to the podcast, uh, Chris is smiling and waving. Chris, this is... <laughs> oh, can some people listen Chris without is, seeing it? People listen with their ears, not with their eyes, my friend. But, it's, uh, yeah, but thank you so I've much for being on the on show. Me. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on the show. The great thing is that like, we talk about you a whole bunch and how much we all love you and admire you. So it's, it's so cool that you're actually part of the show. Thank you for being here. How have you been? It's very kind of you. Uh, so I love this show, by the way, guys. I watch it most weeks. Uh, not all, but most. I got to start by saying, Nick, you're great on the show. And uh, you guys have like leveled up since I was last on in regards to the guests. My goodness. In particular, Jeremy Tan and Xavier Mortimer, who are both the coolest guys ever. But also those episodes were amazing and they offered value. And um, it was so interesting to hear how they think. I'm good. I'm good. I'm chilling in Brisbane, which is where I like to be these days. I got um, one of my mates got married, uh, so I was over in America, your your home homeland for the wedding, uh, and it was weird. That was my first time traveling overseas since uh, March 2020. It was very weird. Yeah. Damn. Well, you, well, the states was home for you for a short while, right? While whilst you were performing in Naked Magicians, right? How, how did you mean? Like, how different is that then? Because that was pre-COVID, correct? Yeah, so we spent the bulk of 27, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019 uh, in the States. With the What's Nations. the biggest variance we all over. between being in Briz Vegas and actual Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> and we are live, Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. That's, uh, that's, that's, it's impossible to answer. They're just too difficult. Similar I feel like you're going to say to the girls. I think you're going to say the girls are very different here versus in America. Like, I feel like that's what you want to say, oh, but they're not. <laughs> no, they're, everything is very different here versus in America. Uh, and it's like when, when I lived in Vegas, you know, it was like, hey, there's Copperfield. Hey, there's Carrot Top. And now I'm in Brisbane. And it's like, hey, there's uh, Ranger Stacy. Like, it's just <laughs> we're, we're, doing, we're doing life differently over here at a bit of a different speed. If you're watching uh, overseas, Ranger Stacy is like a – amazing kids TV host that we all grew up uh, knowing and loving. 
I don't know. Uh, doing magic has been weird. I'll tell you what, Nick, because uh, I haven't really been the naked magician in a while. You know, we did uh, the comedy festival here last year, I think. But uh, for the most part, I wear glasses. And if I don't shave my hair, it's gray and stuff on the sides. I'm, I'm literally just like a middle-aged dude hanging out. And, and it's been really weird emotionally going from like quite a high of, you know, being in Vegas and being in New York and stuff to just being a, like, I'm a magician now. I'm not that guy from that show. I'm just, oh, I do magic for a living. And it's uh, it's an interesting emotional experience. Not only does Chris write magic shows, but he also writes and produces other shows. One of them is to his right right now. Uh, can you tell the viewers a little bit about Nell? Because I don't know if it, like the magicians watching this might not have even watched the original movie, or maybe they have. But uh, I'm actually... This is probably one of the shows I'm proudest of. This is my new one that I just started touring with Christian Hull, one of my favorite comedians. But my favorite film of all time is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, this I had signed years and years and years ago. A friend got it for me at a conference overseas. This is the woman that played Columbia in the film, uh, Mel Campbell. Uh, and then during the pandemic, I, I, <laughs> I was really high. And I, I had this idea <laughs> for a story about her life. Uh, before, during, and after Rocky Horror, the effect that Rocky Horror not only had on her, because it's a crazy story, but that it's how it's now the longest running motion picture in history. It's been running in cinemas for 44 years straight. Uh, so the effect that this film had societally, and uh, this was the show. I pitched it to her. I sent an email at like two in the morning, and then we had a phone meeting the next day at like nine or 10 a.m. And then uh, it's pretty cool. That's that's my second show that I've made now that's gone on to play the West End in London. Uh, so I'm very thankful for that. And But no one knows I did it. I kind of like that. I've just got one poster in my office and then that show just exists. Uh, it was really cool. I, she came over and was in Brisbane for like a week and we rehearsed the show in my living room. And I still remember there were some days I was like, shit, Columbia's in my living room. So that was really cool. It was really fun. I love making shows. I love making shows. Shows are the same. The like Josh, we just did the Eka and then every show you've got, you know, 500 people, like 500 families. There's just something so cool about a room full of strangers enjoying live entertainment. I love Here's it. A, that's the thing, Chris. I mean, there's very little you haven't done. You know, you've done privates to corporates to headlining shows in Vegas to writing so many shows. You're literally this one man orgy. who just does everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's the word of the day, kids. A lot of people may not appreciate or know, like, your resume. Like, could you just politely, just, just so we get to know you a bit better, like, <laughs> let the folks know. Like, I'm Chris. Here's what I've done. Here's what I do. Let us know. Well, I kind of like that people don't know my resume, Nick. Uh, okay, then next question is. I just get to work. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them are on the wall behind you. I love you. making got- magic. Yeah, but I, I never have people over. That's the that's how you win. So, okay, I love making shows. And first and foremost, I was thinking about this last night. What am I? You know, just having one of those chill Monday nights in. I'm a magician first and foremost before I'm a producer or before I'm a writer. I was trying to figure out what it is. And it's the thing that I wake up thinking about and go to sleep and look up on YouTube is magic. I do the other things because they come out of me, but I'm a magician. Hmm. So, but with that, I, I discovered, so Mike Tyler and I wrote and produced The Naked Magicians together. So that was our first ever magic show that we would write, but because of its success, we had to learn to produce and we both really enjoy that. And uh, it's, okay, we're, we're quite good at it for beginners producing. 
And then we made uh, this show with, with, of course, Josh, and hopefully you one day, Nick, uh, Showman, which uh, is just, you know, uh, ensemble-style magic show, which we were lucky enough to, like, that's only existed for two years, but it's played some of the biggest theatres in the country, including QPAC, which I couldn't even get to at the Naked Magicians, which was cool. Uh, and that's that's all I'm in. I'm dabbling in comedy. Christian Hull, uh, one of the biggest internet comedians in the world, we... We made this show together. He lives two buildings down, and we just uh, we get on stage and talk about our lives as as comedians. So that's I just want to make shows and make people laugh. And but first and foremost, yeah, I use magic to do that for sure. Here's the thing about writing a show: like it is for me probably one of the, one of the more difficult things to do. And the reason I say that is that a lot of times you have ideas that you want to achieve, but you don't quite have the skill set or, or the knowledge to pull off like an entirely new and original piece of magic. So I guess the question I want to ask Chris, if I may, is like, how do you write a show? Where do you start? I, I, I've got to start by acknowledging uh, John uh, Prentice. Uh, and you're, yes, John, it is a VHS tape. It was a gift. It's an LED lamp uh, made out of a VHS tape. A uh, gift from my mate. Uh, I love it. He got it online somewhere. How do, I don't know how I start, Nick. I I think for me, so in the context of a show or a magic show? Well, let's say. Maybe let's say a magic show for our, for this viewage. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, okay. Can I, Josh, can I have your permission to use uh, the Dueling Magicians as an example? I think that's a great, that's the most recent <laughs> epic venture we went on. Please do. Yeah, and I'm sure you've talked about it plenty on the show, right? Just a, you know, smidge. So uh, for me, and, and I'm, I'm just going to talk about my experience, Josh, separate to you and I sitting down and going over. So when I thought about the Dueling Magicians, I knew how long it had to be, and then I was thinking about, now, sorry, Nick, I'm just going to rant here and my eyes are going to be closed, but this is the stuff that I think about. Uh, who's going to be in the audience? So I know that at the Eka, it's primarily uh, middle-class families and at the Eka, the, the, that keyword is family. And one of the things I'm passionate about and, and I know is that a, a good kid show bores a teenager and bores a parent and a good parent show bores a kid. So I'm like, okay, there has to be elements in there that are going to, there's going to be something for parents, teenagers, kids. Uh, and I think I, I put the, those things on the board first. And sometimes I'll physically write them down. So the time, the demographic, uh, who it needs to be entertaining for. And then I'll write down a, a load of ideas. Uh, and, and this is, so there's two rules I have. And I think, Josh, you might have seen these in text messages in some group chats. I use the term no bad ideas or no hard feelings. And so there's, I write down absolutely anything. Like Jay Sankey says, you know, effect before method. Just come up with what you want to achieve first and then figure out how to get there afterwards. Uh, and I will write down as many ideas as possible. So in the Dueling Magicians, I'm like, I know it's going to be Josh doing some stuff, me doing some stuff, and then sometimes us doing stuff together. So I just wrote down, literally it was a column and it was every trick that I knew Josh could do that worked on stage and every trick that I knew that I could do that worked on stage. And then I would start, I'm like, oh, that actually, those two are directly related. And we had a couple of tricks where they crossed over. So I'm like, they're great for showdown rounds. And then Josh does this trick, uh, which would be good for getting the mums on board uh, and the teenagers because he's breakdancing as well as taking his shirt off. And I do that trick, which will get the kids laughing. 
And then the other thing I'll shut up in a second, but is music. I'm obsessed with good music selection and I have to credit that to Copperfield, who I think does that better than any magician in history. Him and Chris Kenner have the best soundtracks ever. I will, when I have a list for a show, I will go for a walk. And before I step out the door, I think I'm just going to think about dueling magicians. And then I just listen to as many songs in that arena as possible. And I will every single time find three to five songs and come up with at least one or two ideas. And Josh will tell you that he has 100% received either a call or a voice message from me on a windy walk. <laughs> I love, I love, I love, I love a good voice message from Chris. That's how we communicate. Is Chris will have ideas, he'll send through voice messages, um, and that's just like the exchange. It'll keep going back and forth. And to and to talk about music, like Chris has actually Chris has helped my acts with music that I've continued outside of say Showman because my my three card Josh routine that we call it, which is the one I did on Australia's Got Talent. Like I went to the efforts of getting this compo- this drummer, this percussionist to to write uh, a track to match what I'm doing on stage. And I thought it was like the perfect bit. But then Chris is like one day, he's like, man, I just feel like if we use this song, it'll just add so much more energy and uh, it'll be it'll be more like there'll be more flavor in it. And he was freaking right. And now that's all I use um, for this routine. And so... Yeah, Chris and music is uh, it's a good thing. He'll just like, we'll be like, all right, we need songs for like these four sequences. And Chris would be like, all right, bet. I'll get back to you tomorrow. And he will like deep dive into, I don't know what freaking world you find these tracks from, but they're pretty good. <laughs> there is a world. I, I, I got to go back to Copperfield on this, guys. Like you got to go back and look at his old specials and just think about how good the music is. In particular, the thing I was obsessed with as a kid and when I say Copperfield, I say Chris Kenner as well because I, I feel like, you know, that they're, they're this amazing package. But when I was obsessed as a kid when he would do his audience selection, when I would watch the Magic of David Copperfield specials, and he'd let's go find a member. And, then, and he's got the whole audience clapping along. And it's like the first time I'd seen someone do that that wasn't uh, like a musician or a rock star. And he's going into the audience. I'm like, shit, that's, that's just amazing. And like with Josh's three card, Josh, he had this amazing like drum track and the dance moves, like it was cool, but the audience were watching. Can I, can I talk about the song that we use in the show, Josh? Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's not mine. uh, (laughs) It's the song. It's like that by run DMC, you know, Um, you know, it's like, but my idea was now the audience are familiar with this song. And then instead of watching a routine, they're participating in a dance battle and they're clapping. The first thing they do when that song starts is they go, woo, when Josh goes, bah, 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 and then they're all clapping along. And now we're not watching a magic show. We're in a magic show with the magician. And the only difference was the song. I'll shut up. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. Please. I mean, you were just suspensing wisdom at this point. But as far as the music goes, it's kind of interesting because are you composing music or are you finding music to suit and what's that process like uh i i find music uh but i edit it a lot uh Mm. and i think uh mike's been really good mike tyler is just an amazing devil's advocate with creative stuff and he's really good at telling me when it's wrong but i uh it's just it's just one of those things because there's a million things i'm bad at and just music sometimes makes sense to me but i think it's uh a trick, a good trick shouldn't just look good. It should make you feel a certain way when you experience it. 
And they're like a routine has energy to it. Every routine has energy to it. And I, I bring it back to Cobblefield again, but he's the best example of this, that it's an intimate routine or it's a comedy routine or it's a danger routine. Uh, and then you find music that makes you feel the same way. Uh, and so I have this, I do Jeff Hobson's Balloon Dog, uh, which is a routine I just love and adore. It's amazing. And when I think about the way I do that on stage and my character when I'm performing like as a family magician, I just went and found music that sort of feels the same way as how I'm acting with this kid on stage. That's it's the only way I can describe it. But music has a feel and magic should have a feel if it's done well. So you just got to find the same feel. I should say when I watched Chris do Balloon Dog <clears throat> 27 times at the Yekka, I'm 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 always backstage and I can always tell how the routine's going by the jokes Chris says on stage. Because if he starts saying self self-deprecating jokes, like, well, at least I'm having fun or whatever, then I know he's picked a bad kid. <laughs> so I could always tell by like two minutes in, I'll start hearing the weight, the kind of jokes he's saying. Uh, and you know, that's how we it's have different fun. Now. <laughs> it's different now that they're like in the last three years, kids' attention spans have shrunk. It's crazy. Doing Balloon mm. Dog in 2019 versus 2023, it is uh, a 10-year-old boy has this new kind of venom and less attention in him. It's crazy. So yeah. what I'm curious about with regards to, like, when you choose these music parts, like, is your background in music due to, like, dance and movement? Because it seems like you feel the music a lot more as opposed to, like, playing it or anything of that nature. Do you play an instrument? Do you dance? Is was it just purely like you just you just pick up the vibe like it's just a natural affinity you have? I think so. I'm another thing people don't know about me is I'm self-taught drums, piano, and guitar. And from back when I was a late teenager, early twenties, and I still the only one I still play now is guitar. But I just I enjoy music. I think, and I like I collect records. I love how music makes me feel, uh, and I have a very eclectic taste. And I don't know. I think it's, I remember growing up with my mum listening to Jukebox Saturday night on Saturday nights. And again, I, I keep bringing it up, but the Copperfield specials, which I was obsessed with as a kid, you know, I had like 10 specials on tape. They were all soundtracks as much as they were uh, specials. I remember like, uh, uh, I think it's, it's called In the Name of the Father by U2, which was, oh, geez, I'm a psycho. That's the music he used for the fan for his, like, 1994 tour. Like, there was no other world where Chris was hearing that song. And that was the first time I would hear music scores and stuff. And, yeah, I don't know. I've just always loved music. We I'm could start a band. It translates into a job because if you <laughs> could, what do you play? I, I used to play in a band. <laughs> what, what do you sing? <laughs> They were waiting for it. We gave it to them. Uh, yeah, so no, I, was in a, I was in a rock alternative band called All or Nothing. I'm sure there's some stuff floating around of me in the studio and stuff on YouTube. Good luck finding it. I have no idea where it is. Um, but, <laughs> but, I like um, the name. That's a good name. All or Nothing was a great – yeah, yeah. We, we, I learned that in science class um, it, based off the All or Nothing principle. And so I was like, cool. And uh, yeah, and so played for many, many years. Played for 10 years before getting into magic. And so um, – yeah, I think that it, having, uh, you know, I've said this a million times in the pod, but like I kind of treat the like the correlation between playing an instrument and doing my performances 
the correlation for me is like chords progressions are kind of like my slights, my sleight of hand, and my lyrics is my banter. And I just kind of find the moments to jazz through that. And I find the right timing depending on my audience. And that's what I loved about the very first thing that you mentioned when we asked you what where do you start? The first thing you said was the audience. And I love that so much because a lot of people don't think about that. And that's okay. It's okay to not focus on the audience because you just might want to have a piece or of magic or a show that you want to do just for yourself. You just want to show yourself to the world. Fine as well. But I'm not that guy. I like to perform for all my audience. I like to share what I do and hope, and deliver it in a way that my audience will enjoy it. And the very fact that that's like your step one is for me invaluable. I think that's amazing advice to be sharing with our audience. Thanks, man. And I'm glad you feel that way. I, 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 something I really struggle with in the arts, and this is more in theater than in uh, magic, but is every show now is trying to put a woke message in there and they're, uh, they're two cents right on top and people are forgetting that it's just like as a producer and a show maker we should just be creating something for an audience to enjoy uh people give you their money and their time and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and uh you you know you said a, a good piece of magic can be a chance to show yourself it can but when i think about the the biggest magicians in the world you know tell is not silent off stage and uh, David Copperfield doesn't walk off stage and, and just talk about his grandpa while he looks at the sun. They've created, you know, they've created these characters. And no, fuck, if people met the real version of me on stage, they'd have a nervous breakdown. Like, it's, I think, the best entertainment what? is about the audience and giving them an experience. And, yeah, so fuck giving them our real selves. <laughs> Screw that. What would Give that the look audience like? the, best, the best night of their life. Would oh, it would just like? look, it would be, just you be the, loud. It would just be loud. Here's what I imagine. Like Christopher Wayne, the musical, would be like you in a single chair and then all these little gremlins running around and one's called like the hangover and one's called the party animal and one's called the the the, the deviate and one's called like the most lovely guy ever and one's called the sweetheart and they're all just dancing around in circles, throwing confetti on you like this, but like in this fashion. And you're just in the middle oh. going, my head, welcome to my head. You got the first ten percent of the characters in there. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Well, I got a, I got a different question, still related, and then maybe we go to our gig story segment because I bet Chris has from doing shows all around the world. He must have one pretty crazy gig story that that can be told on here. But the question I want to ask Chris is, what seeing because you've seen a ton of shows like outside of Magic, correct? Ah, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So. I'm I'm curious what like out of the good shows you've seen or the majority of non-magic shows what is something that they do that magic shows don't do or are lacking in in terms of a like a performance oh, sorry okay the first thing and it, it this is crazy to me that this isn't in every magic show ever and I've seen it done in one magic show and it worked amazing. And I've seen it. So it's the show before the show is something that I love. So the two best examples of that, the first would be Cirque du Soleil. But nearly any Cirque du Soleil show you go and see in the world, when you come in, there's some guy in a, in a fucking outfit, you know, like going amongst the audience. Going, and, you know, the audience is watching and laughing. It's like a warm-up act, you know? 
and yeah. uh, the show before the show. And then what that character always does as well, when the show starts, they they always tumble over some people in the audience and do a bit, but then go into the ring and then like bleed into the start of the show. It's like a smooth transition. That's really cool. Uh, and Simon Painter did that masterfully with the original version of The Illusionist. They had a live band that they would fly around the world with this production. And it was really cool. You'd be coming in and they were like, they were playing, you know, there were these five black guys from like New York. They got the glasses on and they, you know, playing the ones on the drums, just looking like a rock star. And then after the interval, they do like this, like, like a rock concert in the, in a theater, you know, in QPAC, you know, the Adelaide Festival Center. They got the whole audience. I still remember going like, and you got 2000 people like just rocking along <laughs> the show before the show. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, yeah, I think that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, let's go to gig stories. Uh, have a think about it. We might, we'll go first and uh, take it away, Nick. So gig stories are a little section of the show where we like to talk about the shows or moments in magic where we've experienced or shared with our friends, family, <laughs> or God bless you, Chris. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry. I don't know how you roll. I figured that would take a whole team of priests to do that. So starting this week with uh, Josh Nibido. Give us a story, Josh. Right. Uh, my last gig on the weekend, it was River Fire in Brisbane. And for those who aren't from Brisbane, it's a massive fireworks display where they light up the bridges. Uh, it's like the whole city has different parts set up with fireworks. Everyone goes out to the, the water to watch it. They also have these um, jet fighter displays where these crazy fighter jets will just soar across the river and go up like vertical at one point. They're upside down. Crazy. And then this year, they even had a drone display which was pretty wild they had like a whale it looked like a whale was like uh going along the water but but in the sky freaking crazy stuff but uh so everyone comes out there so this real estate agent had um hired uh, a bar that's on the river fire called um pacino i think it's called something like that bar pacino nice very nice spot uh, overlooking the water directly where you want to be and uh, so I'm hired to do roving magic before the fireworks go off. And the the problem with getting into the city at that point is the whole freaking city is heading in that direction. So the moment you try to find a car park, even try and get in there, like you got to account for so much extra time. However, uh, I decided to to drive to the suburb before the city, which is Fortitude Valley yeah, for us. Yeah, and I found myself an e-scooter, and um, I went with the the company called Beam that are over here right now, and so I jumped on a scooter, and I was like, "This, why is no one else doing this? Because I was driving, and I saw like 10 of them lined up perfectly. I'm like, all right, here we go. So I park, and I'm in my suit. I'm suited up, but I'm, do- I'm doing roving, so I just get my case. I put everything I'm going to need into my pockets to the place they're going to go. And it's just me in a scooter. And because I shave my head now, I no longer have to worry about my hair getting messed up. So I could put the helmet straight on. Ah. And I just scooted past every mofo that like is in a car jam just waiting. And I'm just scooting all the way through, get to my gig 20 minutes early because there's just, you know, no one stopping me. 
And um, that was like the most fun. I might do that more often now. I know Nick's done it. I know our friend Nathan Hedges done it a lot. I know Chris, you, you might even own, I think you own a scoot, an e-scooter. So yeah, um, I'm, yeah, I'm late to, to join the bandwagon, but like that's not even the gig, but like that was my gig story because it was just it was so cool. It's like a little, it was like a little hack, you know? Ah, oh, it's good times. You're like a uh, metrosexual James Bond, is what you are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like instead of the speedboat, you turn up on your little bitch ass scooter. Yeah, yeah. Me, <laughs> bing, bing. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's really, it's really funny because I've done shows at Crown and they've gone like, "Oh, we've organised valet parking for you," and I roll up on an electric skateboard and I'm just like, um, "Oh wow." <laughs> I'm good, you know. So I have a, I have a really great uh, bag, which is a suit bag. It's called a Hentley bag. They're made in Tassie. My suit gets wrapped up in that. My whole show's inside. I rock up to the gigs, get to my green room, get dressed, do my show. And I highly recommend because I'm only five kilometers from the city where I live, but it's still going to take you like 50 minutes to get to the crown from here, like just with traffic alone. But on a skateboard, it's nice mm. as well, man. You ever cruise through like the parks on the way through, you know? As you get through all the- yeah, love it. Yeah, the love best. It. Yeah. Yeah. And then as go long for as- one this afternoon. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only so- the only problem was I couldn't scoot and um you know get a, a video of it because I was just way too unstable to try and do that. It's the only thing. Yeah. I've tried. <laughs> We've all tried. What happened to your bag, Nick? Nothing. It's a great time. It's just, I'm just saying like, it's the best way to go to, to get to gigs. But um, yeah, I just recommend the bag because your suit arrives nicely pressed, not creased, anything like that. And my, my pro tip is this. So I'll, I'll share this story. I had just bought a brand new suit. And for anyone who's come to my lectures and knows the amount of customization that goes into my suits with the amount of like pockets, toppets, magnets sewn into them for all the routines that I do, it is a very expensive operation. And I did this one gig for a company that hired me almost every year for the Christmas party. And I was on my skateboard and finished the gig. It was great. It was a really hot night in uh, here in Melbourne. It was like 40 degrees that day. So I finished up my show, pack up my bits, and I skate home. Now, this is a lesson learned if you are going to be doing any sort of e-scootering or cycling or anything else. I skated home wearing the suit. And I was trying to get around this guy on a bike. He was like crazy slow, like crazy slow. And I went to overtake him, but there was a, a cover, like a, like a cover on the ground, like a little manhole cover thing that had actually like shifted and, and come undone. And I hit that. I went ass overhead, uh, landed on my backpack. And <laughs> thankfully, so it took the brunt of it, but I did like a full flip, landed on the backpack, and then I slid on my arm. Oh, no. Like, for a while and I was probably doing maybe 30 40k on this skateboard Jeez. and I was fine I was totally fine didn't hurt me one bit it was a brand new mohair suit set me back maybe just shy of three grand and I, I did one gig with it and it did was you say you have a no hair suit mohair mohair <laughs> it's made from goat um yeah, and I totally destroyed my suit. And that's when I said, from now forth, don't wear your suits. Don't wear anything that's going to fully get destroyed in your commute. Put it in your bag. Wear another jacket. Wear another, like, wear leathers 
like wear anything other than what you're going to be performing in because you will destroy your yes. bits. I think the key word here is you, know? you. I think the key word is you said you were doing thirty to forty kilometers on an e-scooter. No, my skateboard. Mad? Yeah, yeah. Are you mad? Of course, that's why you're going to fall off. You're living like freaking daredevil or something. <laughs> that's how I well, roll. Uh, <laughs> li- li- literally. <laughs> yeah. How fast are the e-scooters? Are they not that fast, mate? When I was on the e-scooter, I was going like maybe 15 Ks or something, maybe 20, probably not even 20. Cause like it was my first time. So I didn't want to just like go balls to the wall here, but, uh, but uh, 30 to 40, I mean, you know, I yeah. once, I once rode a, a, a prototype board. It was a racing board. It was all wheel drive. And I won't say what brand because I don't want it to be a slander, but it was a prototype board, all wheel drive and an absolute weapon. It was zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds, I think. And to, yeah, I had a full face helmet on and everything. And I was trying to like, like to hold this thing down, you had to like get as low as you can, lean forward with everything you had and plant it. And they were just like, cause I knew they know, I know how to skate. So they'll just like, see what you can get out of this board. And I, and I did, and they were just like, cool. So absolute well, weapon. Yeah. Well, all right, Chris. Oh, what's your what's your what's your gig story? Which one are you gonna pick from? I I, I got a, it's nice and quick and easy, and I'm gonna rewind to uh, 2019 Las Vegas with the Naked Magicians. Uh, so in context, we were doing six nights a week at MGM Grand, which which was great. But that means you're doing like a show at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night, for example, uh, when Vegas might be dead. Or so anyway, there what would happen is in some shows there'd be like VIPs or someone had won a ticket or something like that. And I just remember it was one of those nights where it was like a dead audience. It was like a hundred people in the crowd. And there's a bit where Mike's delivering like two minutes of dialogue without me. And I've just got to stand. And a part of the gag later is I've got to stand on stage in silence at the front, kind of like uh, in a tele kind of way with an expression on my face, just looking around while Mike's explaining to an audience member what's going on. And I just remember, I remember thinking, this is a hard show, but I'm so thankful that I'm here. I still remember thinking that. And as I thought that, I could hear. <laughs> oh and I looked down and in the front row is like this 70-year-old dude that's like, you know, like he looked like, you know, the kind of like, hey, I'm going to trade the crab cake, sweetheart. Like that kind of guy that would have got a free ticket because he'd been with the casino for 100 years. And he's just... <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, fuck this. I want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> and but because there were still 99 other people in the theater, I can't acknowledge this guy because I'm the only guy that can see this fucking dude having a nap, having a kip. Um, so like, you've got to keep going on with the show. You're the only one that knows that. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's weird trying to make 99 women laugh whilst not waking grandpa up. But here we are. <laughs> you can, and you can you can literally use that joke where you make a loud noise and you're like, oh, sorry to wake you, sir, but like that literally would <laughs> <Yeah>. be the case. <laughs> uh, wow, great classic hits. That was fun. Wow, make pickpocketing easy. I guess I'm trying to see the the silver lining here. Yeah, folks, I, oh, I was. No, no. 
I was listening to an, another podcast called The Dollop, and uh, it's, it's a live one in the most recent one. And then one of the spectators fell asleep in the front row. He slept for the whole show, and the whole time Gareth Reynolds was just taking parts off him. Like, so scope that one out. But <laughs> folks sleeping in your audience is, is a rarity. But the one time I've had to really combat that, and the one time I prided myself on not happening was when I'm lecturing at a magic convention. If you can keep people <laughs> awake in your magic lecture, because keep in mind, like, we're all hanging out. We're jamming to like three, four in the morning. We're sleeping a couple of hours and then we're having coffees, coming to the thing. And then all of a sudden you're in a chair and it's comfortable and it's warm and you're watching a guy do some stuff and then he starts explaining bits and then you just start dr like drifting off. And it was only like, and <laughs> thankfully no one fell asleep in my lecture, but, that, but my good friend, David Jones, he almost did. And he had this face here. Like I'm sure we've all seen this. There's so many old people at lectures too. Like, yeah. I'm surprised that didn't happen more. <laughs> Dude, like, well I'm, done, bro. I'm 38 and I still take naps at 3 p.m. Siestas. Did you have uh, Shane Cobalt come and lecture in Melbourne? You know what? We did, but I wasn't around. I think I was like in Japan or something snowboarding. But yes, he did come. So he, so he's been on the podcast before, but it was so long ago we should have him back. And he's a great magician. Does he performs at the castle a lot? He flies around the world. He gets flown around the world to do close up magic at like very, very wealthy people's houses for like ten people at a time. And it was very interesting chatting to him. But um, when he lectured in Brisbane at this place called the Red Brick Hotel, um, I left after two hours because that was kind of like. Oh, yeah, Chris, you wouldn't know about that place. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, the Red Brick <laughs> Hotel. Uh, inside joke. I left after two hours and I heard that the lecture went for like five hours or six hours or something. Same thing he here in Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's when you surely get some people falling asleep at the end there. Just surely. Was the lecture on like the Lord of the Rings <clears throat> director's <clears throat> What what possibly was he covering that could take that long? Other Mate, than how uh, to build a Volkswagen from the ground up. Palming. Different, you know, the 78 methods of palming. Basically, what he did was he, he asked everyone what they would like to learn and people just kept yelling out stuff and he wrote it all down and he went through everything. Um, and it Man. just... So it was a long session, but that's how he rolls. He, that's he's very thorough, and uh, his stuff is actually like insane. But, but um, yeah, if you can to learn magic, it sounds like he delivers. Yeah, that's a, a absolutely. That's a whole box set. If you're watching the recordings, you know. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't done like an EMC box set, like with the likes of Rene Levand and Lena uh, mm. Green and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, I, I have a, I have another a great story actually regarding that, um, which pertains to um, Danny Ortiz. Would you like to hear the story? Yes. I'm going to tell it anyway. So here's the thing. <laughs> Danny Diotis, who we all love, how big, fat brother from Spain who just loves magic and has no ego about anything he does and is just one of the most beautiful people ever. He was performing here in Melbourne and we're showing him around. Now, he's done two of these EMC box sets. Now, if you don't know what these are, Luis de Matos, who is an amazing illusionist from Portugal, released these box sets. The EMC stands for Essential Magic Collection. And basically what happens is it's a magician's life's work on there. Dave Williamson's done one. Um, uh, Joshua Jay's done one. And it's just like their life's work in like a four DVD box set. And Danny Diotis has done two of these box sets. 
And I remember turning to Danny as he was in my car. I was taking him back to his motel and I said, Danny, people put their life's work on these box sets and you've done two of these. That's like living two lifetimes. Like, I think that's amazing. He then turns to me and says, I make another one. And I was like, this guy's lived three lifetimes, three <laughs> magic lifetimes. Like, you know what I, you know what I love about that story is that you've told this before, Nick. Oh yeah, <laughs> on the podcast. But anyway, like, and you delivered it better this time, though. So, yeah, well, I keep you know, drinking you on the podcast <laughs> because I mentioned that I'm in a band all the time, and I just forget. Ah, uh, no, it's good. All right, I'm going to switch it up. We got to we um so Speakpipe for those listening, send us your voicemails using Speakpipe. It's in the the link is in the description of wherever you're watching this goodness. And um, th- today's voicemail comes from Dale Henderson. Uh, it's it goes for like a minute, so we'll let it play. And uh, it pertains to dealing with heckling. He's a new magician. Let's uh, see what Dale's up to. Hi guys, Dale here from Newcastle, England. Been doing magic about twelve to thirteen weeks now. Um, so I had my first gig at the weekend. Um, it was a garden party barbecue, and my first table that I approached I was like, "Would you like to see some magic?" I'm like, yeah, I would love to. And just from the very second I started, just calling us out, heckling, well, you've done this this way, you've done it that way, it was all wrong on everything they said, it was not done that way at all, uh, caught them out great with a few um, free card money tricks, um, I've got a trick where it says, I'll basically show you the backs of the cards, the red and the blue, and then ask you to guess, and they all change colour, green, yellow, orange, stuff like that, so uh, made them up a little bit silly with that, and... I finished with Go Nuts, uh, Ring to Impossible Location, which was great. Totally won them round pretty quickly, to be honest. They came up, apologised later on in the gig. Um, Want to see some more card tricks. Um, the gig went really well, so my questions for you is, what do you do when you get people like that that start heckling and trying to call you out on every trick? Thanks. I was writing shit down in real time. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Dale. First of all, thanks for that. And the the most shocking thing was you said, I've been doing magic now for 12 to 13 weeks. Yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. And he's what doing the, a gig. Man, I wasted so much of my life practicing before doing gigs. <laughs> before doing So well done. Yeah. All right. Wait, what, what jumps to mind, Chris, when you hear that? The question. Okay. Well, it sounds like he's straight away... So every magician, every magician has that story. I've had that story. I'm willing to bet my life that Josh and Nick have. I know I know my mates have. Uh, so no one, so it's not like you necessarily screwed up. Also, gig conditions are a big variable. Uh, and it sounds like you were at an event in the daytime with lots of friends and booze and perhaps some younger people. Uh, then, that, oh, man, how long does this podcast go for? <laughs> we got 20 minutes at least. Okay. We're going sh- to cobalt this shit. Let's just shane it up and be here for the next nine hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so I-, I wanted to say to him, my man, it, it could have been it could have been you or it could have been the group. So if it's the group, it could have just been they were all drunk or they just felt like picking on you because they're idiots or maybe they don't like magicians uh, or maybe you mumble. And give off beta energy. Uh, maybe you need to go do some public speaking classes. I 
one of the things I believe is that a magician, an entertainer, because they're booking an entertainer for their event, should be the biggest personality in the room. You're you're holding everyone together with with what you bring to that event. And when you leave, like you're the only person that's going to leave, and their their job is to keep talking about you. Did you see that shit? That was amazing. And uh, I think of uh, Sam Powers, an Australian magician who just presents so well when he walks into a room. And I know that that's something that he put not so much time into because he's a he's a big man, but he's he's tall and he's strong. And I know he used to remind me to keep my head up when I and keep my chest out when I'm walking into a room as a performer. And those things can make a big difference. The difference between going up to a table and being like, oh, hey, guys, I'm the magician here. Can I show you some tricks? Is that OK? I got a deck of cards. Or it's, Hey, g'day, guys. I hope you're having a great afternoon. My name's Christopher. What's your name, sir? Hey. And then asserting uh, almost emotional dominance, you know, uh, not in a mean way or an aggressive way, but in a, hey, guys, here's the show. Uh, I'm bringing it to you. Uh, But also, yeah, it could have just been the gig. There's also this thing I would uh, encourage them to look up. It's a very real thing when roving. It's called that. AMOG, A-M-O-G, alpha male of the group. Uh, The concept originally derived from a book about dating. Uh, Every group, if you're a male as a performer uh, and you're doing roving magic, uh, groups where there are women and and men and then the men, uh, and there's always an alpha in the group. He might be the hottest. He might be the one that's most popular with women. Then you come up doing magic. Uh, Even if they're the nicest guy in the world, there is this uh, back of the brain thing that'll make him want to pull you down a little just so he doesn't feel like you're on top of him. Uh, and there are ways to deal with that as well. And it can be as simple as uh, if you get that energy. What was your name again, sir? That's right, Graham. Here, Graham, can you hold this card box for me? Put your hand out like that. And then you put an empty card box in his hand. Now he's just standing there with an empty card box in his hand. And it's like, yeah, anchor, bitch. Uh, and then, <laughs> so yeah, there's just, and I think that's the kind of stuff that can, at the same time, only be learned by gigging again and again and again and again and again. And it sounds like this guy's on the right track because instead of sitting at home in front of his computer, he's out there doing doing shows for real people. I'm so sorry that I talk so much. You know, that is the point of the podcast, bro. I don't know why, you know, you get paid to talk. So that that's uh, yeah. why okay. that's that's why here. But like such such good uh such good juice there. Um the thing, yeah, what like that's it. The, well they have I think they have to know it's essentially what you're saying. Like they have to know that you're in control of the shit you're doing. Like if they feel like you're nervous about the stuff you're going to do, then they'll feel that energy. And um, I like keeping your chest out and your head high is really cool because say like a perfect example of this is Jason Ladanye. Whether you like him or hate him, in real life, he's like one of the shortest magicians I've ever seen. But he's like the most alpha um personality to like to overcome any of that stuff to to command the show and uh if nothing else he commands the show uh because of that and so it'd be very easy for someone to look up at an audience and and like you know be you know i don't know if my magic works from up there you know pick a cut but like no he's like he's like let me get a chair bitch all right now i'm above you all right now take this and you go, i'm gonna bet you a hundred dollars and all right now you owe me this haha <laughs> now your wife mons me and you know what i mean um even bill yeah. malone like bill malone has some of the best jokes that just like he's a funny fella to look at but like everyone can't stop watching him you know because of that that energy and um 
A great uh, a book I liked was um, Steve Cohen's book called Winning the Crowd. It's more it's a bit of an older book now, but it has tips in there like to build confidence, like uh, as simple as when you walk out on stage, start from ten steps behind the, the curtain before you hit the stage. So ah. they don't, you know the audience doesn't see you this; they see you at full speed, and uh, little things like that just. Um, command the stage also i just think really what happened to you dale was like you're 12 to 13 weeks into a gig like of yeah. course it's totally fair to have that maybe nervous energy or or you know <laughs> no one who's only learned magic for 12 to 13 weeks has it down pat so like freaking hell man like that's that's great stuff and great that you're dealing with it already but um nick what do you, what do you say what do you say nick well, for a cat like myself who experiences all types of gigs, whether it be from tradies or whatever else, look, this is not too reminiscent of the bar mitzvah that I did on Saturday where people are just going to grill you or think that they know everything and whatever else. Now, this is um, – you're going to have gigs like this is the first thing, right? So commend you on doing your first gig. I always say get your first one out of the way, right, because they only get better from here. That's not to say that you're not going to experience gigs like this again, right? And so – for me, I just always focus on the subtext of when I perform where all I want to do is make you smile. So a lot of times people take magic as a challenge or have an ego about it that you, they feel stupid, that they don't know how it's done. And you've got to just acknowledge, again, your audience and you have an audience in which they have this ego that you're trying to make them look foolish or look stupid. Now, if you're not trying to do make them look foolish, you're only trying to make them smile, I think that like it just negates all that because people can attack you a whole bunch and people can get mad. Like one of my lines is people, like I'll be doing my thing and I'll find that one alpha, but I won't challenge the alpha. I'll team up with the alpha. And I'll, I'll and so one of the things I like to say is like, I'll say like, what's your name? And they go, I'm alpha. And I go, hi alpha. We're going to put you in charge today. What do you want to do? Do you want to do card magic, coin magic, magic with borrowed objects or my award-winning stuff? You're in charge. What do you want to see? And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is great. And then I go, boom, oh, my award-winning stuff? Let me show you my award-winning stuff. And then I do it and it's just like, I'm not challenging them. They're part of my show. And then I'll, and then I have these lines in my show where I'll say things like, if it's a dude, for example, I'll try to find a lady to choose the card. And I'll go, now fellas, because we're a gentleman, I can't call these guys that, right? And the lady will be like, mm, you know? <laughs> or yes, they are. But either way, I'm like, what do you mean? He's only halfway through his beer. He's a gentleman. No, and because we're gentlemen, we're going to allow you to choose the card, madam. Just say stop whenever you're ready. And I dribble the cards. So all of a sudden in like my opening lines, I've got Alpha on my side, part of my show. I've got Madame, who's now declared all the gentlemen to be gentlemen. And you have this nice little control there. So that's one way that I combat that in that sense. And it works out really well. Now, look, in a different scenario where you've just got kids who think they know everything, you can do stuff like that where, like, you hold up your your thumb and you say to the spectator, like, I go, like, don't, what, what, what are you so mad about? I go, look, like, I'm just here to make you smile. Like, hold up your finger. And I hold up my thumb. And they hold up their thumb. All right? And then you say, that's your thumb. Now, I fooled you. <laughs> no, I fooled you, but it didn't hurt, did it? It made you smile. And that's all I want to do. Oh. Yeah? So just chill out. Chill out. You know? <laughs> Chill out. I just want to make you smile. Like, and I'll don't do tell that. a client yeah. to chill out. Yeah. Well, it's not the client. It's a douchebag. You can tell a douchebag to chill. You know what I mean? Um, like, there's nothing like, but you don't, have to, you don't have to say it, but you're doing it through your subtext. You're thinking it. You're going there with the confidence. You're going oh, there with right, no other right. 
You know, it's through your subtext. This is what you tell yourself. And when you tell yourself this, it exudes from your being. You hold your head up high. I've got this. I know what I'm doing. This is your subtext that comes through your body and it exudes through your body language, through your demeanor. You're right. That's all super important. And some people get so frustrated. And I've, I've, I've used this line before for my wealthy clients where I've literally said to them, I go, what are you so mad about? And they're like, it just shits me. I don't know how it's done. And I go, you know what you should be mad about? If you knew what I was getting paid and I sucked. And then they laugh their ass off. And I go, I promise you, you're getting your money's worth. I really do. And they go, yeah, fair enough. All right. And then they just cross their arms and enjoy the rest of the show. Like there's a lot of ways you can combat this. But ultimately, as long as you lead with the best intent, I think you're okay. And, and again, the next gig you do is probably going to go a lot smoother. And when you do that gig, by all means, drop us another pipeline, a pipe, a pipe speak. I keep going on a pipeline. <laughs> pipe speak and let us know how that one goes. Because I assure you, I assure you, it's going to be entirely different from this one, you know, unless you perform primarily for egotistical tradesmen, buttholes with small dicks. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so I'll just say it's it's a it's speak pipe, not pipe speak. Eventually we'll get there, Nick. But I also, we're, we're yeah, we're getting very passionate about this topic because we've all been through it. But um, one little line I'll just leave. I use this, and I I feel like it helps me so much. Um, whenever I bring out cards, and I can feel that energy, I just say, and I use this a lot. I just go. Now, this is not to trick you. This is, my job is not to trick you here. It's to show you how I'd help you win if we were at a casino. And then I go into my routine. And it's like, okay, we're on the, we're on the same side now. This is not a uh, puzzle here. This is not, I'm going to fool you. It's just, it is going to fool them, but they're going to feel okay about it. Speaking of fooling people, creators bring out new magic effects every day to try and fool them. And we have one here for uh, uh, Nick Baby to uh, to review. Nikki, you ready? Roll the tape. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Piper Magic, Australia's premier online magic store. And today we're looking at a product called Carson's Drink by Juan Pablo. Now imagine this. You're at a bar. So, do, you, having- do you have one there? Yeah. <laughs> oh! Chris is excited. Okay, I'm excited. I'm you know this. You know this effect, Chris. I'm gonna stop pretending to listen and actually listen. <laughs> well, we'll we'll go over this after the pod. But let me explain what this effect is for those of you that do not know what this is, and I'll tell you. You'll probably understand why Chris is so excited about this. Now, imagine this: you're at a bar, someone's having a drink, and then you can magically float their glass elegantly across the table with a silk. Right now, you can do this with Carson's drink by Juan Pablo. Okay, so it's very easy to do. It resets instantly, and you only need to carry a very small gimmick in your pocket, as well as a silk or even a borrowed napkin. Now, with this product, what you get is a thirty-minute tutorial explaining on all the really cool moves you can do with this. You also receive a black silk and a super cool, super secret magic gimmick. Now, as far as the difficulty for this product goes. Levitations of this nature are not hard to do, but they are hard to make look good. I mentioned this in the full-length review on my YouTube channel, so please scope it out. And just for the sake of time, I've only ever seen two people do really good levitations of this sort. And I equate this sort of levitation to the floating table. 
So between seeing Lusander do it and my good friend Richard Vegas do it, I think these two guys do it like exceptionally well. And I've seen Lusander do this in the flesh at Magic Live. So again, not difficult, but make it look good if you're going to do it. Now, the pros and cons on this gimmick, I would say pro, it's uh, it's engineered to fit over your finger and they give you a couple of sizing options in order to do that. Um, the gimmick gives this beautiful swaying sort of illusion. So when you're levitating it, it's actually like going back and forth like this sort of swaying motion. And that's really nice compared to other products in the market. Um, the tutorial covers all the types of glasses you can use. That being said, it must be a glass with a stem. You can levitate any glass with a stem on it, right? You can float the, gla uh, the glass in many different ways. You can do it under a handkerchief. You can do it between your hands. Um, you can do it so that people can see all the way around. So your angles are phenomenal. You can even take a drink from the glass. You can have the spectator take the glass while it's floating in midair. They can take it back as well, which is my favorite bit about this whole thing. Now, as far as the cons go, I would say that it can only be done with wine glasses of this nature. And the only con really is that you need to practice. I don't say that as a bad con, but it's again, one of those things that once you put the effort into it, it's going to look amazing. Now, as far as cost goes, Piper and Magic currently have this product at 122 Aussie dollars. Now, at first they might seem like a lot, but I wanted to put it in perspective because I thought about this long and hard because Lysander and Michael Amar released a floating glass many years ago. It was called Exquisite. I actually have the product which I bought in Magic Live. The retail on this is 85 US dollars, which equates to about $130. Josh and I were talking about this just before the pod. And as far as the method goes for that one and the amount of different moves you can do with it, it is not as great as Carson's drink, in my opinion. I think that it would be far better investment and you would get far more use out of it with this one if you're going to compare the two. Now, that being said, let's wrap this up by talking about who this particular gimmick is for. After a good long think about this, some folks who might want to get into levitations of the sort, it might be through an ITR or some invisible thread. I think that if you're looking to get into it, this would not be a bad start. And the reason I say that is that it's very doable. You're not restricted by lighting situations or anything of that nature. This can be performed in a close-up setting, stage setting, parlor setting. You've got a long range of opportunities you can perform it. Like if you're an MC and you float at a glass as you're doing like a toasting speech, this would absolutely slay. So I think that if you're someone who's looking to get into the floating glass, I think this is a really good opportunity to start your levitation path because from here you might want to get into other things like a zombie ball, whatever else. Um, I also think that if you are someone who already performs things like the floating table, like the zombie ball, it would take very minor adjustments to apply to this effect and you would have a killer, absolutely slaughtering routine just by applying the skill sets you already have with this gimmick and add it to your repertoire. So I say that if you actually fit into any of those things I made mention, that you should be getting this gimmick. And more importantly, if you are going to get it, make sure you get it from pipermagic.com.au and use discount code PIPERGUYS, where you'll get a discount on an already awesome product. Oh yeah, baby. And with that, it's taking me a little extra moment to find the stinger. There we go. 
made that cool 80s thing? I did. Or was that like a... That's unreal. <laughs> it, it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of Stranger Things vibe. Yeah. So Nick, yeah, Nick, Nick, Nick was showing me that if, that uh, that prop earlier before the podcast, and we can talk about it after the podcast. But I'm excited. the The movements it can do is um, is very enticing to me. But yeah, Chris, what? what why are you so excited about it, Chris? That's what I'm curious. I I just think it looks like real magic and it looks like something that you could use. Like, for example, the zombie ball is great, but you can only use that on stage, you know. Correct. And not even at 180 degrees. It's like, yeah, ugh. It's a and stranger looks- ball. Like, I'm just going to float this ball around. I'm like, why? Like, but then and again, why would you get a wine glass? You brought up this, which I love. The sway looks really cool. And then yeah. the other, the two other things that I just can't get my head around, like I just love it, is when the person puts their drink there and lets go. That looks great. And uh, he also does one where the drink like floats around and then he catches it mm. and then drinks it like it tips back into his mouth. I think this is one of those tricks. Like uh, we had the appearing shoebox. Mm. I don't even know. What's it called? I think it's called the appearing shoebox. Or oh, whatever it is from George Iglesias. It's like a draw box but it's just limited by your imagination uh mm. and i think this is too like you did there's weddings you know you could t- use it in a, in a haunted context you could use it in a romantic context there's just a million different ways you could use this trick you use it for social media you, I, I don't know why i'm hyping it up because i want one and i don't want other people to buy it <laughs> yeah so what um, i also yeah. what i also like about this compared to the other versions that i've seen like through the sandra and michael amar is that there is so many ways to levitate it that you can choose the levitations that work for your environment or for the situation mm. or just the ones that you like the most. And it allows you to then compile your favorite bits and make your own routine. And that's what I love most about that. That you can take this utility and go, I now have my routine. I think that's that's my favorite thing about it. I think I'm sold now. God damn it. I'm going to have to buy one. I, so many times we're in here watching, I'm watching Nick's review and I'm like, yeah, damn it. I got to buy it. And I buy it <laughs> straight after the podcast. I've, I've done that like twice now. Um, but look, what, man, there's so much, so much, you know, knowledge that Chris has or thoughts and stuff, but such a little time. We're almost out of time freaking already. But keep an eye on Chris because Chris and I had this back and forth at the moment where we're sort of like, um, you know, watching each other make videos online and we're sort of, you know, giving advice to each other and amping each other up. Nick, you got to jump on this bandwagon again, man. I know you're busy with gigs, a million gigs a week or whatever it is. Um, but, um, but uh, yeah, keep an eye on Chris because he's making some pretty interesting stuff. Not to mention the background behind Chris was purely by design for, um, you know. Well, do we have time for one more question videos. before we wrap up? No, Sorry. Okay, well, no, thanks go for, for coming, go, everyone. Go, go, go for it, go for it. <laughs> well, you guys are so great at pushing out content, right? And I really enjoy both of you guys' content. Content. How quickly can you guys squeeze out, like, a, 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 an Instagram thing, video, reel, whatever? Like, how do you – how quickly can you do it? Because that's my struggle. Like, I think because I, I live in, like, a one-bedroom apartment and I don't have, like, my own dedicated studio and there's a little bit of setup time. Excuse, and, you know, excuse, excuse. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's just like, that, and that's the thing that I fail at. And so it's like, I can either just leave crap set up all the time and then there's no excuse or whatever else. But like, how quickly, like, should you be aspiring to 
make a video, edit it and put it up? Like, should it take three hours, four hours a day? Is it a length of string? What's the deal? It's a length of string, I think. I, well, yeah, Josh will probably be able to answer this better than me, but I'm new to it. And the thing that surprised me is how much fucking around there is and how every other time I forgot to charge one thing and I can't film the whole video because the receiver on my lapel mic, I forgot to charge or I got a, like I've got so many lights and cables and it's so ugly behind me, but um, it's like a dressing room in show business. It's the dressing room is way uglier than the stage. And I don't know, you just do it. Well, I, I do it because I, number one, enjoy it. And number two, because I I plan to be great at that next. And, and for me, live. oh, yeah, hell yeah. Put it out to the universe. We were just talking about it. You got to keep your camera out, Nick. Like Chris and I, yeah. if you if you were to walk in our studio, you'd see our cameras on our tripods there already. So I know we kind of have the luxury of having a room dedicated to it. Like all these lights that are on right now are all powered by one power board. So when I walk in and turn that power board on, the studio just turns on and I switch the camera on and I might, you know, look at the settings or whatever. But that part is taken care of pretty quick, whereas that could obviously stop you from doing it. And then I think it takes as long as the time you've got free to make a video. Meaning if you've got a whole day, if you've got a whole day free, like it's going to take you all day. But if you've only got an hour, it'll only take you an hour. So a lot of times I'm under the pump because I'm I've given myself an hour before I have to stop this. So I'll film it in let's say I, I don't take a million takes to do whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I'll be I'll film it within 30 minutes and then I'll edit it in the next 30 minutes and then it's up. So yeah. you can get it pretty streamlined. Doing trick a day may really help to me get that workflow where I can you're doing it every day, so you just don't have time to just fuck around and and take all these different ideas. You just kind of have to go in there and just see what your brain pushes out and then like do the best at that you can on that day and then just edit it, get it out there and move on to the next one. But unless you are like, all right, I'm going to do this and have some kind of accountability. It's so easy for stuff to get in the way. Like I understand, <laughs> but um, oh yeah, it, it just depends if you want it or not. Like, do you want people to see this amazing content? Well, if you do, you just got to do it. Uh, I also, yeah. I buy that for what it's worth. I like your content, Nick. I, I've watched most yeah. of your videos and they're really enjoyable. Like you're good at it. But you, but in saying that, you're also, you've got other shit going on and you might not be pursuing. If I didn't have the goal of like monetizing social media magic, and that is my goal, I would not be doing it because social media is bullshit. But so if you're chasing real life gigs, great. But if you want the social media thing, then you just have to do it, especially yeah, when it's in they're in, they're in lies from the a guy that skips like a 10 days of it at the airport. Yeah. Well, therein lies the problem. You know what I mean? Like this week alone, not to, to gloat, I have nine gigs. I have two today and one every day, two Friday, two. So like it's just Good nine. You, like it is such a struggle to find the time in between. And like in between that, like, you know, like visiting your parents so that they don't cut you out of the will and going on a date or going to the gym, which I desperately need to do so I can get that, that sexy Josh Nabita buddy. 
Use code PiperGuys for your <laughs> magic protein workout. No, you can find time. Whatever you you want to get done, you find time for. It's just, you know, whether it's getting up an hour earlier. But nine gigs may be the limit of where I accept that. But still, like, I guess Gary V would say document, don't create, like, if you're, if you're thing so busy already. But, but um, oh, anyway. Wow. You know what I mean? So, look, we're out of time, goddammit, which just means we've got to have Chris back on again. We've had him three times. It's still not enough. But yeah, we're going to – guys. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. We we need – you know, what What do I love more than, than three Aussie white guys on one pod? It's the best. So, we're going to leave with uh, the final word from Christopher Wayne here. So, guys, thanks for watching. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week. But here is some pro tips from Christopher Wayne. I did the Naked Magicians for nine years. I did it about 1,300 times. Uh, and because of that, I was doing the same magic tricks again and again and again and again and again. And you sort of, I didn't fall out of love with it, but it got uh, a bit stale at times. And lately, as I've been making these, uh, I've been making just magic content for my Instagram. And there were two goals. Uh, number one was to make entertaining uh, content that I could monetize in the future. But the other goal was to fall in love with magic as a hobby again. And then as I started making these videos, some of them are doing really well, but then I'd work like for three or four hours on one that wouldn't get many views. And uh, a magician that I chat to sometimes and respect immensely is Jeremy Tan, who makes amazing content. And I said, man, I'm, I get so let down when I work so hard on a video and it, and it doesn't go as far as I thought. And then he sent me a couple of screenshots of some of his videos that hadn't performed well. He's like, who cares, man? Like, just have fun making it and have fun making something for your audience. So effectively, I'm giving you Jeremy Tan's advice. But right now, I'm falling back in love with magic again after 15 years. And the secret has been in having fun in learning it. Like when I'm, you know, opening a trick and downloading the link and like learning it again, it should be fun. Coming up with a fun way to present it should be fun. And then finding a way to make it entertaining for your audience should be fun. So on Jeremy Tan's advice, whenever I post on social media now, I post it and then put my phone away for an hour and don't even look if people are engaging with it or not. Thanks for listening. It's time for us to disappear now. Disappear now. But we'll see you again on the next episode of The Magic Guys. 